We're currently in our series called Believe, and this week we're talking about stewardship. Um, this week we're talking about stewardship of affluence. What do we do with what God has given us financially and blessed us with? And next week we're talking about stewardship of influence. And what do we do with the people in the influence that God has placed in our lives? The word stewardship, you know, last week Sarah joked about there are words that we use, that we say that are like churchy words that we don't really use outside of church. And one of those is the word stewardship. We just don't see that often. We don't say that often, right? Anybody use stewardship this week in just everyday life? It just doesn't happen. Uh, but what is it? You did. <laughs> uh, what, what is it? it? Well, it's an old English concept, right? Um, it goes back, you know, into the 1600s when uh, they took this word. Well, I'll get to that in just a second. But but what it's based on is that there are lords that that ruled over their realms, right? They they owned land that was, you know, miles or acreage, or I don't know how they defined it back in those days, but but everything that they had in that land, they owned. They were lord of that land, and they usually had the biggest castle in the land. They were the lord, and so whatever was in that land, all the buildings, all the animals, all the commerce, they owned it. It was like his own private gated community, right? They were lord of the land. And then usually there was another really well, nice house or castle. And, and in that place is where the steward lived. And the steward was the person that the Lord placed in charge of all that he owned. Now here's the thing, is that the steward managed all of this stuff, but the steward didn't own it. So he managed the cattle. He he took care of all that the Lord owned. He he didn't own anything on his own. He just took care of it. The commerce, the farming, the people, the workers. He didn't own a thing, but he managed what the Lord gave him. And so in the 1600s, when they were translating the King James Bible, they were looking for a word to translate oikinomos. I hope I'm saying that right. And the word that they chose was steward. This idea, this managing what God had. It's the idea of management. How do we manage what God has given us? How do we manage our time? How do we manage our talents? How do we manage our treasures? How do we manage our resources? How do we manage our money? How do we manage the opportunities that God has placed in our lives? And so this week we're talking about affluence, our money. And next week we're talking about our influence. How are we good stewards of the influence and the people that God has placed in our lives. And some of you are thinking, you know what, this, this message isn't really for me because I'm not rich. I'm not, I'm not that rich. And I would, I would say and argue with you by whose standard? I mean, if you think about it, if we compared ourselves to Bill Gates or, or to Warren Buffett, you know, we, yeah, we're not rich. And I'm, if we combined every penny that all of us owned, it would be a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what, what these gentlemen own. So by those standards, we're not that rich. But by the world standards, just the fact that we live in America, we're wealthy. There's a couple stats for you. If you have food in your refrigerator, anybody have food in their refrigerator? If you have teenagers, you may not have much. But <laughs> but if you have food in your refrigerator, anybody? Raise your hand. You got that? 
clothes on your back. I mean, we don't have any naked people. This is not a naked service. And so, so you got that. If you have a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the people in the world. 75% of the people in the world don't have a refrigerator, don't have clothes other than what's on their back, they don't have a roof over there, they don't have a place to sleep. You're richer than 75% of the world if you have that combination of things. If you have any money in your bank, anybody have just a few bucks, got a few bucks, if you have teenagers, like we said, it's probably a little bit less than the rest of us. Um, if you have any money in your wallet, even if it's a buck or two, or a little bit of change in your car, then or a spare change in a dish, like in a, like you have a junk drawer that just seems to catch all the spare change at your house. If you have that, you are in the top 8% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you just have a few bucks, because the majority of the world live on a day-to-day basis and surviving on what they get, that 92% of the people in the world have less than you do. So what, I'm, what am I saying is that you need this message. I need this message. If you're an American, you live here in America, you need this message. Do this for me. Look at the person next to you and say these words after me. Say, I'm richer than I thought. Yeah, me too. You are. So if that's true, if you're richer than you thought, then this message is for you. Why is it so important? This world, that we, this life that we live today, what we believe as followers of Jesus is it's preparing us for something. That what we do here on this world today is preparing us for eternity. And the scripture tells us in Luke chapter 16, verse 11, if, if you have your notes, if you didn't get notes, they're on the back table, and just raise your hand and we'll get someone to bring you one. Um, listen to what the scripture says. It says, if you are untrustworthy about handling worldly wealth, this is Jesus talking, who will trust you with the riches of heaven? So that's why we talk about stewardship. We talk about stewardship here on this earth because it matters. What we do with what we have matters in how God's going to bless us now and into eternity. Here's just a few facts. We've got to do this really quick because I have a lot of notes and not a whole lot of time. But just real quick, five facts about family finances. You can raise your hand or laugh or elbow your spouse as I go through these if they reply to your family. The first thing is this, is that, is that family finances, it's a universal struggle. It is. Let's just be honest. And it's, it's not about your culture. It's not about your area or what community you live. It's not about your race, the color of your skin. It's not even about the amount of money that you have. One of the things that just fascinate me about listening to Dave Ramsey as much as I do is that people will call into a show who make $180,000 or $200,000 a year, and they are struggling with the same issues that Haley and I have struggled with our whole marriage. And, and I bought, pull, want to pull my hair out. I'm thinking, how can you struggle like that? You make so much money. Here's the deal. Family finances, it's a universal problem. It doesn't matter how much you make or how little you make or where you live or don't live or, or the color. It doesn't matter. It's universal to all of us. Amen? Been there? Second thing about family finances, it's one of the greatest sources of stress. Have you ever like opened the checkbook and like a moth flew out and then you saw the balance and you were like, oh, wh- 
how did I get there? And like a couple hairs fall out the side of your head or, or you hear boing, boing as they turn gray instantaneously. And it's that stress from what we see on the computer screen as we look at our budget or, or the computer screen or as we, as we look at our, our, our check register or whatever it is. It's, it's a source of stress in our lives. Have you ever had that tightness in your chest as you thought about paying bills? I'm like, oh, where is... How are we going to do this? Here's a third thought. It's one of our greatest sources of conflict. I mean, let's be honest. We're in church, right? We're supposed to be honest in church. Now, I'm not going to call it a fight, but how many of you have ever had a conversation with a spouse about money? Not fighting, because we don't want to fight about money in church, but, but it... But it was, let's just say it was a little tense in a few moments when it came to money. Anybody ever been there before? Some of, some people aren't telling the truth. It's just true that, that money and how we manage it and family finances, it's just a source of conflict in our families and in our lives. It, it's a struggle. Here's a fourth thought, is it often becomes a consuming topic in our families. Haley and I, when we first started this idea of budgeting and, and money and being wise managers and getting out of debt, it seemed like every conversation we had was about money. It's like, how are we spending it? What are we spending it on? Has anybody ever been there before? Why are we spending it? Have you ever, just, you look at your spouse, it's like, it seems like our, our, our significant person in your life, you're like, it seems like all we ever do is just talk about money. This is driving me bonkers. Don't we have anything else going on in our world other than how much money we're making, what we're doing with our money? Anybody ever been there before? It becomes consuming. It consumes our lives. And the last thing, of a fact that's so sad is that it can actually lead to the demise of our families. That money and how we manage it and how we use it and how we're stewards or not stewards or good stewards of it, it becomes a source of divorce. It's one of the top three reasons that families face divorce. It's money. Money fights. It's all about money. So how do we avoid the pitfalls of money? How do we keep from going down that road? First Timothy 6, 9-10, through 10, this is what Paul writes. He says, people who want to be rich fall in all sorts of temptations and traps. The love of money causes all kinds of trouble. Maybe some of you need to circle those, first, those four words, or all of us need to. The love of money. Money doesn't cause the trouble. It's, it's the love of it. God wants you to love people and use things. But when you start loving things, you end up using people. That might be something you need to write down. God wants us to love people and use things. But when we start loving things, you end up using people. There are pitfalls that we face in life. And if you make money your God, it's going to plague you for the rest of your life, like the devil. Because wealth can cause us to do crazy things. Have you ever watched somebody's life who came into a windfall of money all of a sudden? And it's like all of a sudden they start losing their minds. And they start spending money on things they would never spend money on. They start treating people in ways that you've never seen them treat treat before and they just start throwing it away and they throw away relationships and they throw away stuff and they throw away their reputation. Have you ever seen it? guy the other day won the lottery. He called home and he told his wife, honey, start packing a bag. 
And she said, warm weather or cold? And she was thinking they're going on a trip. And he said, I don't care as long as you're gone before I get home. <laughs> That's a joke. Maybe not a good one. It's not nice. But it's, uh, it's often how we treat people in relationships. That money becomes what we focus on. And we, we lose our marriage because we just, we're, we're focused on making more money and we sacrifice relationships because we're worried about stuff. You know, let me tell you what's really going to count in eternity. It's not your bank account. It's your character. It's your heart. So, problem is, is that thinking that having more money, there's just three things that you can fill in real quick. Thinking that having more will make me more happy. That's a pitfall. That's what ads say, right? You buy this, you buy my product, and it'll make you happy, right? It's, it's like the American, what's it called? Uh, um, what's it called? We have the, the right to, to life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. Isn't that what it's called? I think it's supposed to be pursuit of happiness, but we live as it's the purchase of happiness. It's, it's, it's like... It's like buying the new car. We buy the new car and, and it makes us feel happy, right? And, and we sit inside that new... I've never bought a new car, but I've sat in new cars before. Um, and you sit in it and it has that new car smell and that new car luster and that new car shine. And, and if they could bottle... I know they have little sprays that say new car, but they don't smell like what a new car smells like, right? And what it feels like. And you're in that new car and it feels good and then your kids get in it and you find like pieces of french fry and hamburger that's been in there for like three or four months and and the new car doesn't feel like a new car anymore right it's funny we have a nine-month-old kid and babe i don't think we've ever fed him in the car have we but somehow we have found banana puffs in my truck, and I don't have the foggiest clue how they got in there. It's like, like maybe he hit him like in his neck roll or something, because he's a chubby baby. I don't know how they got in that car, and, I, and I'm just imagining what it's going to be like when it's real food back there, right? It's, it's nasty. Here's the thing. We get... The, the shine loses its luster and then we have to have the new model. We have to redecorate our house and, and they lose their value and their appeal and all that stuff. And the question is, why? Why does that happen? Well, I can tell you why. It's because things don't change. People do. We change. We get bored with stuff. That's what the scripture says. Ecclesiastes 5.10 and 11. It says, those who love money, what will happen? What's it say? We'll never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? But it's true. The more you have, the more people show up around you. Oh, yeah, yeah, can I have some? Can I have a little bit? Here's a second thought. Thinking that having more will make me more important. And it's based on this lie that I am what I own that your value is based on your valuables or that your net worth determines your self-worth and it's not true at all because I'd have a negative worth because <laughs> I have a negative uh, net worth. That mortgage is really big. We think that 
that we're respected, that we become respected or liked or popular or looked up to because of what I have. We pay for status. I wanted to do this, but I didn't have it in my closet, um, so I couldn't do it for you. But, but take two shirts, right? Just imagine with me two shirts, both green, both made in Bangladesh, both made out of cotton, but this one has a horse on it. And because it has that horse, it costs hundreds of dollars more, right? It's made out of the same thing. It's made out of the same material. It's made out of probably the same factory. But because of the status symbol, the little polo guy riding on the horse, it all of a sudden has more value. What we have, we think, makes us more valuable. Luke 12 through 15 says this, Don't always be wishing for what you don't have. For real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. I want to underline that. I heard somebody once say, I don't remember which preacher to give it to. He says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. And that's how some of us live our lives. Here's a last thought about this, this, these pitfalls that we fall into. Is that the pitfall is thinking that having more will make me more secure. We call it financial independence, right? But the reality is, is that the more you have, the more you have to worry about. The more you have to ensure, the more you have to protect, the more you have to polish, the more you have to maintain, and all that stuff complicates your life. And here's the bigger truth, is that none of it really offers us any security. Proverbs 23.5 says, Your money can be gone in a flash, as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. I don't think it's a coincidence that every dollar bill has an eagle on it, right? That thing has wings. It just disappears. Like, where did it go? I mean, let's just be honest. People in Houston a month and a half ago weren't planning on a hurricane. People in Florida, people in California didn't expect wildflowers. Well, that's the second time I said wildflowers coming through their houses. Wild fires raging through their neighborhoods, destroying their homes. The people in Puerto Rico or St. Thomas or St. wherever, whatever Caribbean island, none of them expected those things to happen. What we own doesn't make us secure. The only thing that cannot be taken away from you is your relationship with God. That is where we find our security. So, couple thoughts about being a good steward for you this morning and then we'll, we'll end. Just a couple. The first one is this. is The best way to beat financial stress is to not put it upon yourself. It's our attitude towards money, not the absence of it, that causes the biggest problems in our lives. Hear that. It's our attitude towards money, not the absence of it, that causes the biggest problems in our life. It's the obsession, the overspending, the debt. It's all of that stuff. It's, it's self-inflicted wounds that creates financial stress. I was talking to one of my best friends a few weeks ago. And I was telling him about Haley and I's plan that we're on to get out of debt and how we were about a month and a half away of being 100% out of commercial debt. Now, we have a big, hairy student loan that's going to be hanging around for a while if you've ever been down that road before, but consumer debt 
we are, we're, we're a month and away from being done. And I was telling this really good friend about how, man, we're focused and we're working hard and we've been paying this off for almost two years now and we're ready to be done with it. And he just said, Jared, i got to warn you. He said, my, my wife and I, we've been out of debt three different times in our life. And we have more debt now than we've ever had before. And he said, I... He said, stuff happens. We weren't ready for it. We didn't save. And next thing you know, we're doing stuff on credit cards. And he said, we're back in this. Three times we've been debt free. And now we have more. And they're in their mid-60s. It just broke my heart. I felt bad. Life happened. And they made choices that led them to the same place that they had been before. Self-inflicted wounds. Paul has a different view on things. Listen to what he writes. He says, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I, I, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. It's a skill that we can learn. It's a way that we live. It's a heart issue that each one of us have to wrestle with. It's, a, it's what we do to ourselves. So the best way to beat financial stress is to not put it upon ourselves. Don't go that way. Here's a second thought. It's connected to the first. You have to learn the skills of money management or wear the scars of mismanagement. Learn the skills of money management or wear the scars. There's lots of things that I don't know how to do. There's lots. If it has an engine, I don't know how to do it at all. I'm an idiot when it comes to cars or motors or pool, pool pumps. I, I don't get it, but I'm thankful for guys like Mike and for Travis, who, who's a pool guy in our church. And, and when I first got to know these guys and they started teaching me a few things or, or showing me a few things, they, they helped me learn. They did it for me. And then now I'm starting to do it myself, but it's a skill that I didn't know that, I, that I'm beginning to have myself. Money is the same way. It's something that we can learn how to manage it, how to budget it, how to invest it, how to be good stewards of it. Proverbs 22.7 says this, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. A slave. Do you want to be a slave for the rest of your life? I don't. Have you ever felt like a slave because of the money that you owe other people? I have. Enthusiasm, Proverbs writes, without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. We can slow down and we can learn these skills before we have to deal with the scars of mismanagement. Here's a third thought. We need to let the management of our financial life flow out of God's management of your personal life. Listen, this is a big truth to let go into your heart is that money and what we do with it is a spiritual issue. Your faith and how you handle your finances are connected. It is. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, so don't worry about things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things, they dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. How are we going to do all this stuff? He says, but your heavenly Father, He already knows all your needs. Seek 
the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. What a promise. For some of us, we might need to like put that you know, on our mirror or on our checkbook or on our refrigerator or somewhere in our lives. So we see it over and over again that when we put God first, when we put His kingdom first and His will first and we live righteous lives, that when we do those and when we surrender to His will and His way in our life and in our finances, Scripture says He'll provide everything you need. He'll bless you and provide for you. A little girl was saving up to buy a toy. She's like six, six or seven years old. And she was determined to use her own money. And she had, you know how six and seven year olds, when they get onto something, it becomes like a central thought, you know, and she went out and she picked out this doll that she wanted. And the whole time she's holding this doll in the store, I'm using my own money. Every stranger she saw, I'm using my own money. I'm buying this doll. I'm using, she was super excited because she had saved up her money and she was getting ready to buy something that she wanted and it made her feel like a big girl, right? You ever been there with your your kids before, parents? Super excited. She had her little piggy bank, and she had her doll, and she got up to the the little conveyor belt, and she put her doll on there, and she started dumping out her change. And the lady rang it up and got the total, and she started counting the money. She got it to the end. She's like, I'm using my own money. I'm so excited. And then all of a sudden, the cashier looked at her, and she said, well, honey, you're actually a little bit short. So she looked up at her daddy and she said, Daddy, I think I want to use your money today. <laughs> Parents, you ever heard that before? <laughs> I think I want to use your money today. What if we saw all our money that way? Our checkbooks, our finances, everything that we own and say, God, I think I want to use yours today. Because truthfully, it all belongs to him to begin with. It's all his money. Daddy, I think I'm going to use your money today. Here's the last thought about being a good steward of your finances. Is that we need to use what God has given you to express worship. Use what God has given you to express worship. In other words, when I give some of it back to God, that's an act of worship. God loves it. And God wants you to honor him with some of your money. That's what Proverbs 3 and 9 says. This is honor the Lord by giving him the what? What's it say in your notes? The first part of all your income. The first part. Why would God do that? I mean, is, is God really, does he really need my money? Not really. I mean, he's, he's got everything he needs. The scripture says that he owns a thousand cattle on all the hills. It all belongs to him. The truth is, it's not even yours to begin with. It's all his. So why would God say, give me a part of your money back? The reason why is he wants you to do it as an act of worship. He wants you to do it as an act of worship. Matthew 6.21 says this. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you put your treasure is where you place your heart do you want to have a heart for Microsoft? Think about it this way. You want to get a heart for Microsoft? Let me tell you how to do that. Buy some of their stock. 
The moment you buy stock in Microsoft, you're going to care about what Microsoft does. All of a sudden, you're going to care about them, and you're going to start watching articles about Microsoft, and you're going to read their annual reports, and you're going to get this idea. You're going to start paying attention to the things that they do as a company. Why? Because you're, a, you're an owner. You own stock in that company. You're now part owner in Microsoft. You've got an investment in them. Where you put your money, you start caring about. So God says, I want you to put some of your money back into me so that you'll care about me. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your heart in your house? Is your heart in your boat? In your business? In your hobby? In your career? Where you spend your money, where you put your time, shows what's important to you. Here's the last verse. Deuteronomy 14.23 says this. This is a purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. God doesn't mean your money. He doesn't mean mine. That's obvious. But it's what it, what it represents. What does it represent? Our hearts. Why do we get so nervous when we talk about money? Why do I get so nervous when I talk about money? The reason why is because the most sensitive nerve in our body runs from our heart to our wallet. And when we start plucking that nerve, it makes, it makes us nervous. Some of us are nervous right now. We're freaking out, thinking, is he going to tell us we have to give more money? Here's the truth. We spend all our lives making money, thinking about money, worrying about money, saving money, spending money, investing money. And we're afraid someone's going to take our money. And God says, relax. Don't worry about that. Invest in eternity. I want you to put me, God, first. Not me, but God first. This is the way we use our money wisely. We give some of it back to God, and that's called tithing. It's giving our first fruits back to God. Have you ever been there before? Stressed out because of money. Have you ever had those gray hairs or no hairs you know, fall out because you're thinking, what am I going to do with this stuff? How can I keep it? How can I invest it? How are we spending it? Why do we have so little of it? It's a source of stress in our lives. But it doesn't have to be. Sarah, worship team, come back up. The reason why it doesn't have to be is because there's skills that we can learn. There's a place that we can put it. There's a way of surrender that we can live that takes the power from it and it places it back as an act of worship towards God. What are you doing with what God has given? Are you being a good manager, a good steward of the blessings that He's placed in your life. I don't want to live a stressed out life because of money. God doesn't want you to.